Oh, good morning, church. For those of you who don't know, my name is Ike Nicholson, and I'm the senior pastor uh, here, and I'm uh, uh, grateful to to be with you this morning. I appreciate Pastor Joe mentioning about the Brotherhood Men's Retreat. I do hope you fellas uh, will consider uh, being a part of that. Um, It is, uh, we actually, if if you are registering and you don't have cash, that's all right. We take credit cards online, so you can, uh, I really hope that you'll register. There'll uh, be a lot of us there. Drew will be there. Austin will be there. So we're looking forward to that. So thank you for that. Hey, over the uh, past couple of uh, uh, weeks, past six or seven weeks that we've been here, uh, you know, our, our kids have uh, been, you know, trying to get connected and make friends. And, and I really am grateful for a lot of you because you guys have been praying uh, that they could make friends in our neighborhood and stuff. And so my wife and I, mean this from the bottom of our hearts when we say to you, would you please stop doing that now? <laughs> uh, it, is, uh, it's, it's grand, it was Grand Central Station at our house this past week. Um, you know, uh, my wife was standing there this weekend, you know, in the midst of all the noise, and she thought they had all gone outside, and she was having a, a cup of hot tea. And, and you know, you, you're standing there, and suddenly you feel some eyes boring into the back of your head. And so she paused, and she turned around, and there stood a, a little boy, and she was like, yes. And he went, you have more Pringles? And um, so what we did, by God's grace, we've gone and we've bought Pringles in, in bulk. Uh, you can get big boxes with just the little cups of Pringles, and that's been great because that way they don't eat through a whole tube of my, I mean our Pringles. And uh, you, you, hey, that's all you get. Make it last. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a really great weekend. We had a lot of kids in our house. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, it was time for them to go because we had the, the, the game night here past, this past Friday. If, if you missed that, I, I pray you won't miss it next time. It was really, really a wonderful experience. And, uh, you, you know, okay, we need to go, so you all need to go. And uh, they didn't go. And so my son said, y'all want to come with us? Don't you love it when your sons, and they, they extend invitations without talking to you first. So one of, only one of them came and called his mom, and she's like, oh, sure, you can have him. And so we had him for a couple more hours. What she doesn't know is we're going to get even. And, um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we were, uh, one of the um, amazing things happened when we were on our way to the church. You know, we have a, a, an older minivan, and by that I mean it only has one video screen, not two. You know, the two, the new ones have two video screens. We only have one. We're old-fashioned like that. And, uh, and, and I've been, over the past couple of years, been trying to explain to my son how, how much better the cartoons of my childhood are than his cartoons. And uh, so he's been watching the Transformers that I grew up with. So, yes, they had Transformers when I was a kid. And uh, one of the wonderful things about that experience is is as we were coming to the church and Transformers was playing, you know, the one from the 80s, is one of the little kids that was uh, with my son, he had never seen the, the old Transformers. And he kept asking my son this question, is that a good guy or is that a bad guy? And I was just really... God, the Holy Spirit has been at work in this church all week long. It's been amazing how God has been working. You know, I don't even know why we have planning meetings with the staff, because the Holy Spirit has already planned out everything for us. And uh, because as I was thinking about this message, what a wonderful way to begin this message, because isn't it true that when we are uh, uh, reading a story or hearing a story, 
watching old videos of Transformers, there's a couple questions we need answered. And the first is, is who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? That's important. And so with that, uh, I want to turn your attention to Luke. And somebody's saying, he's going from Transformers to Jesus? Of course I am, because Jesus wants to transform you. I have been waiting years to use that line. And y'all didn't respond near good enough. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to it, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15, beginning in the first verse. This is the third book of your New Testament. The New Testament is all those books in the back of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's the first three books of the New Testament, the Gospels. Um, We're looking at Luke chapter uh, 15 and uh, beginning in verse 1. So while you're looking for that in your Bibles that I know you brought with you to church, let me ask you this question that has been a part of our whole Lenten focus. What is God inviting me to lay down in order to be made whole? What is God inviting you to lay down in order to be made whole? So I want you to think about that. And I hope that the Spirit will speak to your hearts and your minds uh, this morning as we study God's Word together. So from Luke chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, Uh, The story begins, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now we're going to jump over to verse 11, the second part of verse 11, but I want you to know that what Jesus is telling in this story is actually three parables. And the first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. Would shepherd wouldn't go and leave the 99 and go find the one that's the lost? Sound familiar? The second parable is the parable of the lost coin. And the third parable is the parable of the lost son. You probably have heard it as the story of the prodigal son. So beginning in verse 11, the second half of verse 11, Jesus goes on. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the, and the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and, he, and, and felt compassion, and he ran 
and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this younger brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Here ends the reading of this. God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. So the little boy in the back of the van says, who's the good guys? Is that a bad guy? Well, the bad guys, and I hate to say this in the, uh, because it's going to lead some of you to think something that, well, even though it may be important for you to think, it may not be easy. The bad guy here is the Pharisees and the scribes. They're the bad guys. You see, the Pharisees are angry with Jesus, and they're angry with Jesus because Jesus welcomes the lost. Now, now you, have to, you have to understand, if you read any of the Gospels, when you read Luke, you're going to see a side of Jesus that although it's in Matthew and Mark, it's not as prevalent. It's not as focused on as it is in Luke. I mean, every time Jesus deals with somebody who is untouchable, it's it's definitely going to be in Luke. Uh, Jesus deals with those who uh, have been rejected by uh, the religious institutions of his day. Uh, Jesus touches lepers. Jesus touches the dead and raises them. Uh, Jesus touches foreigners, the, the Syrophoenician woman. He, he speaks to, to women. He embraces children. And, and all of these folks who are considered by the religious culture of the time to, to be folks who should be seen but not heard, or, or folks who, who have not lived up to the standards of the law of Moses, folks who are not living a righteous and good and godly life, the Pharisees are irritated with Jesus because in every single one of those cases, it's those folks 
that Jesus is engaging with. Jesus is interested in lost people. Jesus is interested in those who are considered outside of the the institutions generally and the religious institutions specifically of his day. And although uh, this story is commonly known, this parable is commonly known as the, the parable of the prodigal son, it's really not a, a great title, primarily because we generally define words based on their context more than their definition. And, and how many of you, uh, uh, when, when you were uh, younger and in college and you came back home and, and you're, you know, because you needed your clothes washed or you, you ran out of money, uh, or your car was broke down and, and your, your father or your mother or your grandfather or grandmother said, well, looky here, the prodigal son returns, the prodigal daughter returns. And because of that, the word prodigal for us uh, is oftentimes understood in our minds as uh, uh, somebody who has gone away, not paid any attention to us, and then when they're in need, they come back to us. And, and, and that makes perfect sense because that's, that's the context of the story. The, the problem is, is, well, number one, in the original language that the Gospel of Luke is written in, there's no word that translates into the word prodigal. As a matter of fact, if you go to the original language and you translate it into English, the closest is a phrase that says, the son who engaged in dissolute living. How many of you used the word dissolute this week? It's really not something that we use. It could be that somebody who used the gifts and the assets that they had for something that wasn't a good purpose. But when we translate it into English and when we talk about it in English, we use the word prodigal. And, 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 and the problem is, is that when I read this story, especially in the context that Jesus is talking about it, is, and, and this is, I think, important. First of all, the story is not about sinning. The, the story is about lostness. The story is about separation. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, if anybody should be called prodigal in this story, it shouldn't be the son, it should be God. Because the story is about the prodigal God more than it is the prodigal son. Now that may unsettle some of you because, you, because of how we understand the word prodigal. Well, when did God leave me and go use his omnipotence and omniscience and his power and his sovereignty for his own good and then have to come back to me? When did God ever do that? Well, that's because the the word prodigal doesn't mean somebody who leaves and comes back. The word prodigal literally means in English wasteful, extravagant, and reckless. Well, now those words kind of have bad connotations, don't they? I mean, you know, isn't wasteful a a bad thing? Isn't recklessness a bad thing? Isn't extravagance something that 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 we do that uh, that we shouldn't have? We we use the gifts that we have been given for our own desires, or or we overuse. you know, I, I'm concerned about extravagance. That's why we bought the little things of Pringles rather than the big things of Pringles. But now think about it with God. If anybody has been more reckless, God 
has been reckless. Because reckless can be a good word. I mean, if there's a guy standing on a railroad, or a person standing on a railroad track, and, and, and you run toward, and train's coming, and you run, and you shove that person out of the way, that's a very reckless act. You could have gotten killed too. But we celebrate that recklessness, don't we? When we think about extravagance, I mean, you know, I have two daughters. Now, there's a special fraternity of men who have daughters, all right? Because when my daughter says, Daddy, may I have, it, I don't care what comes in that last line, she's getting it. Now, now, my son was raised in the United States Marine Corps boot camp with me, but my daughters, they are princesses. Now, I know that they'll grow up and they'll never find a man like their daddy. And that's my goal. (laughs) But there's a sense of extravagance that's good. You know, when we talk about hospitality to people, we talk about extravagance. I mean, when the family and friends come over, you pull out the good china, don't you? You pull out the good glasses and you dust them off because you haven't used them very much. There's a sense, of, a sense of extravagance is a good thing, especially when we're welcoming the stranger. And if anybody has been more extravagant and more reckless, it's God. For God to suffer himself upon the cross is a reckless act because he didn't need to do that. As a matter of fact, even if at the very beginning of thinking about it, the idea of crucify, allowing yourself to be crucified for the sins of others might be palatable. It might be able to be accepted if you knew that those for whom you were dying would appreciate it. But in the midst of it, while Jesus is enduring the stings of the whips and the piercing of the nails, those for whom he is dying are ridiculing him. Why can't he save himself? Why doesn't he call down legions of angels? They spit upon him. They mocked him. I, I, I think that if any definition can be applied there, recklessness can be applied, and I'm thankful that he did. We, we talk about, uh, I, I'm always intrigued when people say, what's God done for me lately? That's all, I, I don't know what to do with that question. I mean, we have a, my wife and I have a really good friend who uh, was a missionary in China, and I remember when he would always come back uh, from his mission trips, we'd visit with him, and, and he would tell us about how Christianity is growing in China. Isn't it interesting that places where Christians are the most persecuted, where they are suffering the most, is where Christianity is growing the quickest? I mean, Christianity in China and in parts of Africa, where our brothers and sisters in Christ are being killed repeatedly, uh, 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 gruesomely, because of the name of Christ, and we complain. <laughs> I, I, we asked our friend the last time he got back from China, I said, is there any, I don't know if I've told you the story, you're going to hear it ten more times anyway. Because I asked him, is there anything that we can pray for you about? And I said, can we pray that persecution you know, will, 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 will end in China? He said, oh, no, 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 don't, don't pray for that. He said, because the Christians in China believe that the reason the gospel is growing so much is because of the persecution. As a matter of fact, are you ready? As a matter of fact, he said to us, Christians in China are praying for persecution to come to Christians in the United States. Because they believe that you will experience the same success of preaching the gospel 
and proclaiming God's love through Christ that they're experiencing. That's reckless. That's extravagant. If you got up this morning and you were able to have something to eat, you had clothes to put on, you had a way to get around this area, you have heat, you didn't worry about anybody coming to your door last night and taking your family away and executing them, you and I have been the recipients of an extravagant God. There are some eternal truths in this story, some eternal truths that are important. Now, each of you come from different perspectives with different experiences, and I honor all of that. So this may not be heard the same among all of us, but I hope that the Holy Spirit will direct it to each of you as is necessary for you to hear what God wants you to hear this morning. And that's first of all this. God will receive the lost. God will receive the lost. That's important. God will make the good news of the gospel known here in Littleton. God will reach into people's lives that are suffering from brokenness and hurt and anger here in Arapahoe County. God will speak liberation and redemption to those who are prostitutes and drug addicts on the streets of the city of Denver. God is interested in the lost. The question is, will South Suburban Christian Church be a place through which God reaches those people? If I can use some old-fashioned language that I heard when I was growing up, God will bring revival. The question is, is, is will God allow that revival to come through us? You know, when we, when we hear the story of, of the son, the older son, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty horrendous uh, uh, story uh, if you think about it. I mean, imagine if you, those of you who have children, imagine if your child came to you and said, you know, I, I kind of like to have my inheritance now. I mean, what are they, what are they saying? Basically, they're saying, I, I would prefer you be dead now. Because that's when you get your inheritance, right? After the parent has died. How did that father feel when the younger son, Dad, I, I just assume you'd be dead now so that I can have what's coming to me. Now, remember we said that the focus of this parable isn't so much uh, the son, the prodigal son, it is, it is the prodigal God. How does God hear our requests? How does God hear our prayers? How does God hear the words of the faithful? And I think this is difficult for some of us to probably experience because I know that y'all took a great deal of effort to get here this morning. And I want to honor and support that and celebrate that because, I mean, we have three kids. It's a pain in the neck for us. Actually, it's a pain for my wife because I have to be here early. So she has to do it all by herself. But you know what? Being far away from God is not measured in distance. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, a lot of folks say to me, you know, my son, my daughter, they're not, they're not in church anymore. They're not focused in prayer anymore. They've abandoned the faith. Some husbands have said that about their wives. Some wives have said that about their husbands. And it's really easy to 
uh, as we've gathered in this place, in this holy place, this place set apart. Remember how I defined holy last week, a place that's been set apart. As we define, as we gather in this holy place as a holy people, because we've been set apart too, it, it's easy for us to, uh, you know, to think that it's only those who are out there who are lost. Those who aren't here this morning or, or those who are engaged in activity or conduct that is contrary to what we think is the appropriate way of living. And what's often difficult for us to hear is, is that you and I can be just as lost, just as far away from God sitting in one of these chairs as we can if we're on some street corner somewhere. You see, uh, uh, com- coming to church and... and <laughs> I'm just seeing how many of you laughed. It was a test on how old you were. Just because you come here and you sit in a chair and you receive the Lord's Supper and you lift your songs, your voices in song, and, and, and you pray, you bow your head when you pray, you listen intently to the preacher, even if you don't listen intently to the preacher, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a relationship with God. And I say that not, not to beat up on you, not, not to harangue you, not to irritate you, not to make you feel bad, but just to, to encourage you. That God is more interested in your heart than he is in what you do or you don't do. And that's difficult for us to hear. But remember, this parable is not about sins. It's about lostness. So I don't want to ask you the question, have you done all the right things today? Did you not get mad when you were driving to work today? Did did you speak kindly to to your wife and kids? Did you not kick your dog this week? I don't care about any of those things. What I care about is, is, is your heart connected to your Father? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is he changing who you are? Is he transforming who you are? Have you been aware of the extravagance of God? Have you been converted because of the reckless love that God has shown us by suffering himself upon the cross? I'm so grateful that Pastor Drew let us stand in the presence or sit for some of you in the presence of the awareness of God's love. I love that image earlier with the father running to meet the son. Did you know that it was considered shameful for an adult man to run, especially to someone who was of lower social standard than he is? So, so a man would never run to his wife. Don't beat up on me. I'm just telling you the cultural perspectives. And certainly, a, son would, a father would not run to his son. And I can guarantee you, a father would never run to a son who wished him dead, took half of his wealth, and spent it on dissolute living. And yet this father abandoned all of his pride, all of his status, Because all he cared about was this son who was dead and is now alive. This son who was lost and has been found. And that's what God has done with you. That's what God has done with me. He's pursued us. There's no mountain high enough. There's no wall that can't be kicked down. There's nothing that God won't remove to be in relationship with you. 
except for perhaps one thing. My refusal, your refusal, to receive the love that God wants to give to us. You see, the heart of the gospel is not heaven. The heart of the gospel is not grace. The heart of the gospel is the Father. What do I mean by that? Listen, if you're following Jesus Christ because you want to avoid a very bad ending and enjoy a very good ending, I'm not sure that's a relationship. I mean, I, you know, like I, 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 don't, I, I told my wife, we stop serving Pringles. We'll see how many kids come by the house. I'm voting for carrot sticks and celery. We'll see who the true kids who, who want to be friends are. You, you see, if, if we're following God because of what we can get out of it, then that's not the gospel. Because the gospel is not about what somebody else gave up so that we could get something. The gospel is about a relationship with the Father. Even when we talk about grace, that's something that we get. God gives us grace. God gives us mercy. But that grace and mercy is not an end. Oh, got my grace, got my mercy. Thanks, God. We'll see you later. No. What God wants is a relationship with you and me. What God wants is our lives to be changed. What God wants is to make us new. What God wants is to raise us from the deadness of our own desires, our own goals, our own life. Are you and I living a life that glorifies God? Are you and I living a life out of response to that grace and mercy? Are you and I, when we say we want to be like Christ, what would Jesus do? It assumes that we want to be like Christ. Are you and I being like Christ? And stretching out our arms to embrace those who are unembraceable, to welcome those who are considered unwelcomable, to love those who are unlovable. This is what the Father wants, to be in relationship. Now, another thing that we do in every story, we want to know who the good guy is, we want to know who the bad guy is. We also want to know who we are in the story. Are we the Pharisees? Certainly the church could easily be the Pharisee. The elders, the pastoral staff, the deacons, I mean, we could be the ones who say, you know, it's not fair. We do everything that we're supposed to do. We're here at church. We tithe. We do everything that is expected of us. Why isn't God, why isn't the staff, why isn't the elders, why isn't the church paying attention to me? Well, to tell you what I once heard the Son of God say, we always have you. You're our brothers and our sisters. We love you. You love us. But we're here for those who are lost. We're here for those who've been marginalized. We're here for those who've been forgotten. We're here. The reason we're here is for all those folks out there who aren't here. I like to think of it as, you know, an aircraft carrier, and you guys are jet fighters. Some of you are Air Force, I understand that. You can push the same analogy if you want. 
But here's what I think is happening. This is why we're here. We're just like before a, a squadron gets ready to go out on a sortie, uh, you know, all the pilots come in, they sit down, they, they get a lay of the land, what the enemy resistance is like, what their goal is, what their mission is, how they can best accomplish it. Meeting's over, they go out, they fly their sortie, they're victorious for the cause of peace, love, and democracy. In many ways, that's what you are. You're, you're here to, to, to get the lay of the land. You're here to be encouraged. You're here to be equipped because every single one of you who are in Christ, the reason you're here right now is to get filled up, gassed up, armed, and squared away to go out and embrace the lost, to call those who are outside into relationship. And I want you to know that I believe that's what South Suburban Christian Church is, and I believe that's what South Suburban Christian Church can be, a place where we're focused on those who are lost. So let me just say this. If I have seen you six or seven weeks, and somebody comes into this building that I haven't seen before, I might leave you, and I hope you'll leave me to go and reach out to those who are wandering, who are lost, not the sinners, because I'm a sinner too, but to those who are lost. And I pray that the words of Jesus when he says, if you want to see the Father, you have to see me. Because that's the power of what Christianity, of what the Christian faith is, is, is that we can know the Father. We can be embraced by the Father. By allowing the Son to embrace us. At the beginning of the service, at the beginning of the sermon, at the beginning of the season, we ask you a question. What is God inviting me to lay down in order to be made whole? What is God inviting you to lay down? I love you. And I just want to ask you, because I have to ask myself this. Is God inviting me to lay down the idea that I'm the center of the universe? Is God inviting me to lay down that I deserve something? Is God inviting me to lay down the idea that I have done everything that I should do and I have done it well and I deserve my gifts? Are those things that we need to lay down so that the lost can be welcomed so that the broken can be healed, so that the lonely can know the, fe the fellowship of not only God, but God's people. And I challenge you, this week, if you lay all that aside and ask God to use you to embrace the lost, whether it's in your family, at work, in your neighborhood, it will not only change their lives, it will change yours too and in a moment you'll get it and you'll celebrate that the fatted calf has been killed the ring has been placed on the finger of the lost and a robe of righteousness has been draped over them because that's who we are we're followers of the king we're sons and daughters of the Father. Oh God, 
thank you for calling us. And in that moment when we were lost, you ran out and embraced us. You honored us. And then you welcomed those who came after us. And you have invited us to welcome them as well. May we be your sons and daughters for a lost and hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen.